Maybe you've read this book. It's a British author named Oliver Berkman. It's called 4,000 Weeks. It's a meditation on time and our relationship to time. What's interesting about the book and the ways that it's compatible with a four-day work week is it says we have 4,000 weeks in our life on average. And that's a finite number of weeks. And once we begin to let go and shed this idea that we can do infinite things, that we can achieve it all, that we can do it all, that every hour must be filled with significance because we are going to live a perfectly remarkable life and we're going to do everything. It's important to recognize that there is a finitude to our time. That actually is what makes time special. It's what means that when you go on vacation, it's really special because you don't get to go on vacation all the time. And I think this is a fundamental flaw at the heart of so many organizations is they say, we can do it all, everything. We don't have to prioritize. Even the vocabulary we have around time is use time, spend time, invest time. Very much this idea of time as a resource to be used up. This week on Working It with me, Isabel Berwick, we're doing something different. For the past six months, Emma Jacobs, FT feature writer and columnist and friend of Working It, has been following four companies as they take on a radical experiment, a four-day working week. So in this special four-part miniseries, which we are, of course, running daily over the course of a four-day week, you'll hear from Emma as she talks to business owners and employees at the companies taking part in the trial. In the first two episodes, we heard from business leaders and their employees. Who are we hearing from today, Emma? So today we're hearing from experts, people that have done this before, professors studying four-day week and the creators of the four-day week global organisation. First, you'll hear from Banks Benitez. He's the CEO of Uncharted, which is hired by large corporations such as Facebook and Chipotle to support entrepreneurs. And he started his own pilot project in April 2020 after seeing team burnout at the start of the pandemic. And this is his main finding. I think the real ability to switch to a four-day work week comes in prioritizing and deprioritizing. It comes in getting better at directing the focus, the attention, the energy of the organization towards the fewer priorities that really matter. And so my focus as a leader in the organization was, yes, people can optimize their work weeks and they can get more productive. And they might be able to sort of cook the data in that respect. But if we as an organization adopt different principles around how we prioritize and deprioritize, around the standards of things that we say yes to, of being super selective, and also interrogating disproportionality in our work, I think one of the ways to not cook the data is simply to make organizational structural changes to the business, as opposed to just relying on individuals to get faster or more productive. So this is how banks worked out what needed prioritizing. Four-day work week is a fitness and I really had to revisit my relationship to completeness and to incompleteness and to say, okay, when I close my computer at the end of Thursday, starting the weekend, because our day off was on Friday, there were many things that I did not get done that week. And if I look at my emails, my inbox hygiene was not very good. There were still a lot of emails that were left unanswered. But being able to close my computer and say, okay, I didn't get it all done. But I got the most important work done. And in fact, the work that still remains, the emails that I did not respond to, were actually not as essential, not as important. But I think in some ways, we have this dopamine hit 
of getting all this busy work off of our plate that actually doesn't move the organization forward. And so over the last two years, I've been trying to sort of rewire my mind, rewire my brain into saying, okay, I can declare a week a success when I really have accomplished and completed the most important work. Turns out the four-day work week can be especially hard for perfectionists. They had a hard time with the four-day work week. And it was not because their boss was making them work extra hours. In some ways, their boss was coaching them to say, what are the things that you must get A's in and what are the things you can get B's and C's in? And what I've learned has been that when you just try to do it all, your muscle of prioritizing gets quite weak. And I think for perfectionists, that's also true. They just say, we're going to do it all. And then their ability to discern between important and unimportant suffers as well. The 40 work week is not a panacea. It's not going to solve all of your problems. Actually, the real essence of the four-day work week is around doing things differently. It's not for everybody. But for leaders that want to do that, it's important to remind their team and ground their team in the benefits of this long term and say, look, we're not just going to flip the switch. We're going to improve the ways we prioritize. And I'll tell you what, that's going to be uncomfortable. But on the other side of that, there's the opportunity to reclaim the work week. Switching to a four-day work week is going to reveal the inefficiencies in your business. It's going to reveal the blind spots that you have as leaders. It's going to reveal these subterranean beliefs in your culture that you can do it all, that there are no trade-offs. And so in some ways, this is actually going to surface the things that are not working in your company. I think that was a really honest assessment. I mean, he uses quite a lot of jargon words, but actually at the heart of it, there's this idea that something I found very compelling in the Oliver Berkman book that was mentioned at the top is that people come into your email inbox and you have no obligation actually to answer them. And I found that very liberating because you can't answer every email that comes in. Except for mine. (laughs) Always yours, Emma. (laughs) But what did you take away from that? So I spoke to Banks in the middle of the pandemic when he'd finished, I think, his trial. And I found him really thoughtful about the kind of way that you approach going into an experiment like this. And he's very reflective on his own personal productivity and email inbox. That's something that we compared. He was worried about zero inbox when I said I'd let go of that one long time ago. Yes, I've got 400,000 unread emails. <laughs> Just looking at my 300,000 unread emails. And uh, and I think that once you kind of get into that mentality, you don't have to tick everything off by the end of the week. You get better at deciding what not to do in your four-day week. Exactly. So it's a really brilliant tool for prioritising, actually. So, I mean, I think this process, even if you decide not to do a four-day week or even never think of doing it, it's a really good way of looking at the workload and looking at work practices and what inefficiencies you're going through every day, like responding to every email. Yeah, well, obviously no inefficiency here. (laughs) What other experts did you speak to? So, the other person that I spoke to was Brendan Birchill, who works at the University of Cambridge. He looks at work intensification and also the mental well-being that you get from work. He's on the trial because he is going to talk to employers about their participation in it. So my team from Cambridge, we're looking at the employers, their experience of it, what the employers tell us. They're very positive. People are talking about all the great benefits that they've had from it. Not all the companies Professor Birchill's studying are strictly on a four-day week. Often when we talk about it, they're saying that 
working on Friday is optional. There's no meetings on Friday, but people will use the time on Fridays to catch up on their emails or sometimes they've only gone to a four and a half day week. So perhaps only one or two out of the 25 or so organizations that we spoke to genuinely had really a situation where everybody was working just four days a week. So looking at the employers taking part in the trial, Professor Birchill's noticed some issues. Some minor teething problems, but of a minor nature, trying to work out exactly what they mean when their holiday entitlements are changing, those sorts of things. Like, for instance, in some organisations, they mentioned that some employees weren't well suited to the four-day week and they had to let go of some people. And this was something that was brushed over, but it seemed like they were expecting people to work more autonomously and to work harder during the time that they had to cut out a lot of the maybe talking with colleagues or other things that people might have done in a more leisurely working day. So at times we may be getting a rose-tinted spectacle view of the changes that we've picked up in organisations. Maybe more than just teething problems then. Some of the early results from New Zealand, where lots of the enthusiasm for this movement started, are suggesting that there are negatives. We know that one of the things that's particularly bad for people's mental health in organisations is constant time pressure, always having to work to tight deadlines, working at high speed, often a feeling of sense you don't have enough time to do things as well as you'd want to do them. And that can be increased if that's how the work is compressed into the shorter working week. For some people, given the choice of a more leisurely five-day working week or this pressure over four days where they can't do those other activities as they come up, it will be a high price to pay. Another concern is what people are doing with their extra day. Speaking to some employers, they are concerned that when they reduce their employees' hours, then they'll think of doing other jobs for the other three days. We know that particularly in the NHS, it's been reported to me that some nurses will use those three days a week if they're working shifts to work as maybe agency nurses in another hospital. And so instead of, as the employer is hoping, that by reducing hours, people arrive on Monday morning well relaxed and ready to work, they haven't got those benefits. They may be, for some people, more pressure to pick up a second job, something which we don't see much of in the UK compared to many other European countries. I also spoke to him about the results of previous trials. In France, we saw the pressure coming from government, the government trying to impose a 35-hour week in The 19th century, it was a great victory of the trade union movement to reduce down to something like an eight-hour day and a 40-hour week. And in Germany, for instance, in the big factories, we saw that pressure coming from trade unions again to reduce the working week for big Volkswagen workers and so on in the 1990s. But as a trade unionist, you're doing it because you think that's your right. And I think that probably makes it quite different from other working time reductions, so that there's an expectation, not only that people work harder, but there's also an expectation of gratitude from the employees. It may be something that wears off after a while. It may be that people are recruited into organisations where they're very clearly applying to those organisations because they've got a four-day week. They're not going to feel that same gratitude. I'm really fascinated by this idea about gratitude because that's something we've talked about before on the podcast, that employers expect staff to be grateful for giving a fifth day off. But I think that the point he makes there about new employees not feeling grateful, this could be a real culture shift. Well, I think as the trial ends and this becomes embedded, if companies agree to go forward with it, 
then that will shift. We had it recently when we had the free canteen meals. Suddenly, day one, I thought it was brilliant. Day two, I was expecting it. (laughs) And so you kind of very quickly adapt to it. And also, you don't want a relationship with your employer where you're daily grateful for the perks that they're giving you. You do a job, they give you the money, and that's the relationship. To be clear, I would be grateful if the FT reduced (laughs) free lunches. But widening this out a bit more globally, what's the position in the States? Because there's no culture of any sort of shorter or limited work week there and very little holiday. I think there is, although there's not kind of curbing of working hours, there has been a shift to people compressing their hours over four days or working part time. And so to find out how this is taking off in the US, I spoke to some experts. When I moved here from Ireland in September, a lot of friends and colleagues were observing how I was effectively moving to the capital of overwork to try and persuade them to work four days a week and were quite amused by that idea. This is Joe O'Connell. He's the Global Pilot Programme Manager for the Four Day Week Global. My experience has been that there is significant interest here, even though there's no question that in large parts of the US economy, this idea of working long hours, being the first into the office in the morning and the last to leave at night is this kind of badge of honor. From our point of view, it's actually in those countries that maybe have a greater distance to travel where the momentum is greater because this feels like something that's more revolutionary. This feels like something that's a really radical departure that will make a really significant difference to people's lives. That's fascinating. And are there any academics in the States who are looking at this too? So I also spoke to Lindsay Cameron, Assistant Professor of Management at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. There's always this close relationship between the US and the UK where one is seeing like, oh, what's happening over here? Can it work here? Vice versa. And we actually saw it in California. There was conversations in the state legislature about whether or not all companies that had more than 500 employees would actually institute a four-day, 32-hour work week. It didn't end up passing, but there are conversations about it. She believes that the idea of shortening the working week might be less of a priority in the US. Particularly compared to our European counterparts, Americans really like to work. So (laughs) imagining that we are going to agree to do a 32-hour work week and get as much done as in a 40-hour work week, and that's going to be able to happen consistently. Anyone can do a pilot. You have this intense scrutiny, and people will focus and get the work done. I think the question is, is that really a long-term viable solution? You could see one group of people saying, well, this is a perfect time to do the four-day-a-week work experiment because you've already done the remote work experiment and it's gone reasonably well. But I believe we're not as easily going to transition to a four-day work week as opposed to when we were sort of forced to change to be more remote. Well, I do think Europeans like to work as well. It's not just Americans. I mean, I guess that lots of jobs like banking or law, there's sort of similar cultures that US might have more of an aggressive, competitive reputation. But the UK and the city is also hardworking. Billable hour doesn't exactly make people likely to work fewer hours. I mean, that's not changing anytime soon. So I guess in those cultures, the kind of long hours cultures, it's hard to see where the impetus for a shorter working week will be. I mean, I guess the other problem with the US is that there are greater issues to fight, maybe much more on, say, parental leave. There's still 
a lot of workplace issues that need tackling. In those big globalised corporate cultures, I can see how the bureaucracy might allow a four-day week to happen. But do you think there's a danger that this could become a sort of privilege thing for the elite classes? Oh, definitely. And we can see in the experiment, it's mainly office workers. So actually, the fish and chip shop is quite an outlier. When we speak to them later, we'll find that they feel a bit of an anomaly. On this issue, I spoke to Jana Yavornik. She's the Associate Professor of Employment at the University of Leeds. So do you think there's a danger that we'll have a kind of professional class because it does seem to be white-collar workers that are mainly doing this experiment supported by a five-day week support class? Not necessarily. I think employers who are smart and approaching that are actually taking this as a really good example to collectively rethink the way the work is organised. So what Jana's discovered is there's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to working hours. I think there's a variety and diversity of ways people work. And obviously, over time, we have seen that professional occupations, particularly those that are service-oriented, like financial services, banking and things like that, could experiment slightly more. But if we look at a very concrete example of a trash being collected, they can have a relatively flexible way of working. It's just that they start in the middle of the night. So when we are thinking about condensing work or thinking about reducing the amount of work that needs to be done, we have to keep that in mind, which is why I think it won't be one recipe, one approach fits all. It'll have to be a myriad of conversations within the main conversation which needs to be how do we start working better and smarter and not harder and longer. If the four-day week starts to become the norm, there's a few things we need to consider. Firstly, the gender gap. So one of the biggest questions for me in terms of a four-day week is are we talking changed kindergarten and childcare and nursery services? Are we talking about changes in school hours? And we need to be thinking about those as well, because these are all support services and they are predominantly feminized. So it is women who are predominantly employed in those services. So if we are introducing a new pattern of work, then we have to rethink the entire support system. The entire infrastructure needs to follow the suit. Else, we won't be destigmatizing, we will only be reinforcing the existing gender gap. In that respect, Jana's not so optimistic. It does sound amazing, it surely does. I'm just not sure if this is the one ultimate solution that will fix all the problems. So like Jana, Joe O'Connell from the Four Day Week Global Organisation also believes that shortening the working week may not be a priority for all industries at the moment. When you're talking about hourly wage workers, workers in the kind of employment where, you know, working additional hours or working a second job becomes necessary to put bread on the table. We're not saying that the four day work week or reduced work time is the number one priority issue in those industries right now. And actually, if we want to enable this to be something that can be delivered right across the economy, then we do need to address the fact that if you look at sectors like hospitality and retail, Average salaries are just so low, that is the number one issue that needs to be addressed for workers in those parts of the economy before people would be even able to engage with the idea of a shorter work week. Could things like inflation, cost of living, a potential recession 
Could it slow it down? I think it could. I think it could certainly lead to some companies who otherwise would have taken the leap to maybe say, okay, we're going to hold off for six months or 12 months before we do this. He hopes that this is just a pause rather than a full stop. But I think it will only have the effect to slow it down. I do believe that we are in the early stages of a transition that's not dissimilar to the shift to the five-day work week. The genie is out of the bottle to some extent after what we've collectively experienced in the pandemic. It takes a great disruptor to dislodge deeply embedded societal and cultural norms, like is the case with the eight-hour day, the five-day week, and the weekend. Our view is that we already had the productive capacity and the technological tools to work shorter hours before the pandemic in the same way that we could have embraced remote working before the pandemic. You know, COVID didn't make that possible. It made it permissible. If you look at how the five-day work week came about, it didn't happen overnight. It didn't start with legislation. It was a 20 to 30-year cycle where it happened at different times in different countries, different times in different industries. And it was only when it was popularized that it was legislated for to fill in the gaps. That's where we believe we're at with the four-day work week. So Joe's presenting the four-day work week there as something organic almost that has come from the workforce up. You know, it wasn't legislated for. These are things that we could have done a long time ago. Is it that the pandemic has opened our eyes to all of these different ways of working? The pandemic's been a massive impetus into this trial. And I think that if we hadn't had the last two years where we've shown that we can work in different ways and that employers can trust some of their employees and are much clearer about what productivity might look like rather than presenteeism, then I think that this wouldn't have had the groundswell of excitement about it. However, I think that Joe's right that the climate has changed a lot since the trial started. So as we came out of lockdowns, there was a lot of excitement and optimism and now the climate has changed so dramatically that we're worried about heating our homes so that we can work at home or how to offset commuting with the heating bill so these are very different times and people's priorities are more about money rather than time I'd guess. What would you say were your key takeaways from talking to these experts? I think it's a really good exercise in making people think about working practices We get very inert in the way that we do our jobs and the pandemic really moved that. All these companies that never tolerated home working suddenly found that everybody could do things at home. So we can change the way that we work. We just need a bit of thought and planning. And so even if you weren't going to move to the four-day week, I think some of these exercises in how we work and what productivity looks like are really useful. I found this episode really interesting because these experts are looking at a very macro view of the four-day week, whereas we've really drilled down into what it means in practice. And this idea of whether it would work in the United States, which has a very different kind of working culture from the UK and Europe, is a really interesting one. You know, what does it mean to be in a really work-first kind of country and deliberately only work four days a week? And the other big takeaway for me is this idea about prioritising and inefficiency. Working fewer hours really shows up the problems we have in our corporate structures or the problems we have in managing our own workloads. So I'm looking forward to tomorrow's episode where we're going to get the big reveal about whether any or all of these companies are going to go ahead with the four-day week permanently. 
With thanks to the FT's Emma Jacobs and to Banks Benitez, Brendan Birchall, Joe O'Connell, Lindsay Cameron and Jana Yavornik for this episode. And Jana also appeared on our long COVID episode, so do listen back to that. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And do get in touch with us. We want to hear from you and we're at workingit at ft.com or I'm at Isabel Berwick and I'm still on Twitter. If you're an FT subscriber, please sign up for our Working It newsletter. We've got behind-the-scenes extras from the podcast and exclusive stories you won't see anywhere else. Sign up at ft.com forward slash newsletters. Working It is produced by Novel for the Financial Times. With thanks to the producers Anna Sinfield and Flo de Schlichting, executive producer Joe Wheeler, production assistants from Amalia Sortland and mix from Chris O'Shaughnessy. From the FT, we have editorial direction from Manuela Saragossa. Thanks for listening. <laughs>